0: This weekend We're going to take a, a, a break from our normal studies in the book of Romans, and um, rather than doing our one-by-one one on the last Wednesday, we're going to do our one-by-one one on this Wednesday. And So last month we were in Genesis, and so this month we'll be in Exodus. And so you can go and open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus. We're going to study the entire book of Exodus in about 30 minutes, so bear with me here. So, uh, good stuff. Through the Bible in five years, that, that's the goal. And so, um, one Wednesday a month. And so, uh, and so I, w- I would challenge you to either read this book after the study, you know, uh, you know, if you're not already reading through the Bible, or you can read Leviticus um, for next month, and we'll be studying Leviticus the last Wednesday night of next month. So you can read Leviticus, like, 20 times before the study, and you'll be able to teach it. And so, j- it's just a good way to get you in the Word and, and studying. So we're in the book of Exodus tonight. As we look at the book of Exodus, we'll focus on our normal four points as we'll always see. Number one, the title and theme of the book. Number two, the author and the date. Number three, the outline and the overview of the chapters. And then number four, what I'm calling points to ponder, just some applications generally that we can draw from the book. So first, we, let's talk about the title and the theme of the book. The name Exodus actually comes from the Greek translation of the Hebrew scripture is known as the Septuagint. Exodus means to depart or to exit. And so this name was given to this book because of its major theme of the departure from Egypt. Actually, the real name of the book in the Hebrew Bible is Elai Shamath, which comes from the first two words of the book. And it's actually translated into English as Now These Are the Names. And so It's given this name because this book is a continuation of the book of Genesis. This book shows how the family of Jacob became the great nation of Israel. And so these books are companions to each other, and they're made to be read one after another. And so if we were to summarize the theme of the book, we could say that this book shows how the family of Jacob grew great during the 430 years of slavery, which they were in in Egypt. The book of Exodus also shows how God, based on His covenant with Abraham, used Moses to lead the nation of, of Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. In at Mount Sinai, God revealed Himself to Israel. He made, a con- uh, he made a covenant with them and began giving them the law so that they could be His special people, His holy nation, and His kingdom of priests. And that's Exodus 19, 4-6. The author of this book, of course, is Moses, as is Genesis. There's internal evidence for that. In Exodus 17:8 through 16 we'll see that Moses writes about the war there with Amalek. And in 24-4, he writes, um, we're told that he wrote down all the law that God spoke to him from Exodus 20 all the way until um, 23, that um, time that he was up on the mountain with him. And so Moses is the author of this book, and he wrote this book somewhere between 1446, which is the Exodus, and 1406 B.C., which is um, the, you know, the time he died, the last 40 years of his life. He wrote that sometime, wrote this book sometime around there. The outline of this book is there's two major themes of this book. The first is in chapters 1 through 18, Israel is delivered from bondage in Egypt. And then, second, in chapters 19 through 40, God begins delivering to Israel their laws for their nation and their religion. 19 through 40 is their constitution for their nation, as we'll see. So let's jump right in to the book of Exodus and um, summarize the chapters. First, in chapters 1 through 18, we see Israel is delivered from its bondage in Egypt. Now, the book of Exodus begins, as I said, with the family of Jacob there in Egypt, 70 people. Now, they grew into a great nation. Now, the Egyptian dynasty that knew Joseph and had peace with him soon passed away and a new Egyptian dynasty came on the scene now historically this Egyptian dynasty was the 18th dynasty of Egypt Egypt and therefore the Pharaoh of the oppression was a man named Thutmose the third one of the great Pharaohs of the 18th dynasty now the oppression of Israel came we're told because Egypt was afraid that Israel would leave and join their enemies and so Pharaoh he put the children of Israel and the children of Israel in slavery And in order to stop the growth of the nation, he began ordering the midwives to commit infanticide. When when there was a male child born, they were to kill him. Well, the midwives refused and obeyed God, and he blessed them. Now, when Pharaoh saw that his plan didn't work, he made it a law that every male child under two was to be cast into the river. Chapter 2 tells us that during this time, a Levite man named Amram took Jacob as a wife, and she bore Moses. And she could only keep him for three months before, you know, the baby started crying a lot. And so she had no choice. Hebrews 11 says that by faith she made a folding basket and there put him in the reeds along the river. Moses' sister Miriam stood watch to see what would happen to the baby. One day Pharaoh's daughter, Queen Hethethsep, the um, sister of Thutmose III, came down to the river with her servants to bathe. Now, while she was there, she noticed a basket among the reeds, and when she opened it, she noticed it was a Hebrew baby, and she had compassion on him. Now, Miriam at once said, hey, do you want me to go grab one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby? And she said, go. And so, what a great thing, Moses' mother was able to come and spend time with Moses and there, um, you know, basically disciple him. When he became of age, he became Ah 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 Hethep's adopted son and Pharaoh's um, basically uh, adopted his son as well. He was raised in the best schools of Egypt. And so this was the first 40 years of his life. Now, God began putting a zeal on Moses' heart for his people. And one day he was walking around the city of Egypt and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And out of his zeal, he grabbed the Hebrew, or the Egyptian and he killed them. And so when Pharaoh got word of this, he put out a death order to Moses. And so Moses had to flee to Midian, the Midian wilderness. He fled, when he fled out to the wilderness he came to a well and there were some Midian women there and they were often attacked by these bandits. Well he helped these women from these bandits and they came home and told their dad, a guy named Jethro, not from Arkansas but <laughs> Jethro from Midian. Now Jethro said, hey you, you know these guys helped you and you know you're, you know, you're not showing them kindness and so he said okay well so he went out and invited Moses in. He said, hey stay with me. So Moses ended up staying with him, and then he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses as a wife, and Moses had two sons by her, Gershom and um, his, his other son, Eleazar. Moses lived with them for the second 40 years of his life. Moses' life is built based into three 40-year periods. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness until he's 80, and then 40 years with the children of Israel leading them out of Egypt. Now when Moses was 80, he just began his ministry, One day he was out shepherding his flock by Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. While he was there, he noticed a bush that was burning and was not consumed, so he drew near. I would too. And when he got there, the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses, and he told him who he was and what he was going to do. God told Moses that he was going to begin fulfilling his covenant promises to Abraham by bringing Israel out of Egypt and then into the land of Canaan. Now, after God told Moses His plan, he then told Moses that he would be the one to deliver Israel, and this is when the dialogue begins between Moses and God. Moses first says, "Uh, God, who am I that I should deliver them? And God said, I'll be with you. Basically, don't worry. Just to prove it to you, you'll come back and worship me on this mountain. Moses responded, hey, when I come to the children of Israel, they'll say, you know, who is the one who sent you? And what should I say? God said, say that I am that I am sent you. Moses was to tell the children of Israel that God had remembered his covenant with Abraham and that he was going to begin fulfilling that covenant by taking them out of Egypt and bringing them into the land of Canaan. Now chapter 4 shows that Moses was not convinced of this. So Moses asked God, now what if they don't believe me? Or listen to me? Or even, you know, deny that you sent me? God said at this point, okay here's three signs. The first is a serpent. What's in your hand? He says, the rod. He says, it's cast on the ground. It became a serpent. And he says, they don't believe that. Here's another sign. Stick your hand in your shirt. It's leprous. Stick your hand in your shirt again. Non-leprous. So, I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. And then he says, okay, they don't believe these, and then here, pour water on the ground. It'll become blood. And then it'll, you know, become non-blood again. You know, and so it, it, it'll, you know, it'll go back to water. And so those three signs, Moses would, ver- you know, would verify that I sent you to the children of Israel. Moses still felt unqualified. So he told God that he can't speak. He says, God, I'm an uncircumcised lips. I can't speak well. And God says, hey, don't worry. Who made man's mouth? I can can be with you. Moses had a stuttering problem. He couldn't speak very well. And God said, okay, I'll send your brother Aaron then. And so um, basically God sent Aaron to be his spokesman, but but Moses would be kind of like, Um, basically God said he would be like God to him. He would tell him what he should say. God would speak to Moses. Moses would speak um, to Aaron. Now chapter 4 ends that while Moses was going on his way back to Egypt, God met Moses, and he was going to kill him with a plague. Now what in the world does this mean? Well, we're given insight. Zipporah took a knife and then circumcised their son, and then the plague was gone. Why was God going to kill Moses? for his son not being circumcised. Well Genesis 17 says that the sign of the Abrahamic Covenant was circumcision and those who refused to circumcise their son or their offspring were to be cut off from the nation of Israel. So God was raising up Moses to be the deliverer of Israel based on the promises that he made to Abraham in his covenant but yet Moses was not keeping the Abrahamic Covenant and so that's why God met him there. Now, in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron began their confrontations with Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, it's important to note in, in Exodus 4.19, it says that the Pharaoh who previously opposed Egypt, or Israel, excuse me, died. And so a new Pharaoh came on the scene. So this new Pharaoh is the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Here it is. His name is Amenhotep II. And so people spend a year in seminary trying to figure out who is the exodus, Pharaoh. And so his name is Amenhotep II. There you go. Solve all your problems. Moses and Aaron confronted Pharaoh and told him that the Lord God of the Hebrews met them and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh responded with that famous saying, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And so God said, okay, let's, do, let's, you know, let's play that way. And so God was going to you know, um, get his people out of Egypt through the plagues. Now, when they came to Pharaoh, Pharaoh became very angry. And actually he put greater tasks on the children of Israel. He took away their straw and then kept the same quota. And they weren't able to produce and so they began beating the captains, you know, the captains of the children of Israel. That's factory work right there, right? Production. And so, when they were beating him, you know, they came back to Pharaoh and they said, hey, listen, why are you beating us? Why don't you give us straw? And they said, well, Moses and Aaron came to us and said that you want to go out into the wilderness and worship him. You got idol. your idol, You're And so he was mad. And so they said, what? And so they came to Moses and Aaron and they said, hey, let the Lord look upon you. You know, basically let the Lord judge you, you know. Why'd you t- why are you doing this to us? And so Moses was discouraged. And so he came back to God and said, God, why are you bringing, you know, bringing trouble on these people? you know why are you doing this to them and God said okay Moses listen you know I am the Lord now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh I'm going to deliver Israel by my strong hand now he says something interesting he said Abraham and Isaac you know and Jacob knew me as God Almighty but you shall know me as the Lord now isn't the word Lord used in the book of Genesis yes so why did God say that now Moses and the children of Israel would now be knowing God as Yahweh is because yahweh is the covenant name of god and so basically the word know is to know by experience and so this generation was going to know the covenant keeping god by experience they were going to see god outworking his covenant promises that he made to abraham isaac and jacob god made promises to abraham but there wasn't really much you know effect yeah you know he had a son but now they were going to see it in their faith they were going to experience it and so and then god said hey a bunch of times seven I wills as a matter of fact they would know that he was this covenant keeping God he would deliver them from Israel or from Egypt. In chapter 7 Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they told him that God said to let his people go and then they showed him their signs they cast their rods on the ground they became serpents well Pharaoh's magicians did so with their enchantments and um, Pharaoh became angry Now because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, God began to bring plagues on Egypt. Now scholars say that each one of these 10 plagues was against one of the gods of Egypt. And you can look it up. Each one of the plagues is against a specific God of Egypt. And so it was God showing them, hey, who am I? I'll show you, I am the Lord. And so he wants to show that he is better than any person in Egypt or any other God. Now the 10 plagues are mentioned in chapters 7 to 12. And they're in order as the following. The first plague was that the waters of Egypt would be turned to blood so that all the fish would die. Pharaoh wasn't fazed by this. Rather, he hardened his heart. The second plague God brought was frogs from the river, and they filled every place in Egypt. Pharaoh wasn't fazed by this. Rather, he sought Moses and said, hey, listen, um, I'll let the people go. But as soon as they uh, took the frogs away, he hardened his heart again. He, you know, he was just lying. He didn't let the people go. Third plague came without warning. God turned the dust of the ground into lice, and they plagued man and beast. Pharaoh's response was that he hardened his heart. He didn't let Israel go. The fourth plague was God sent swarms of flies on the Egyptians. Pharaoh sought Moses and said, Go, but just stay in the land. And Moses told Pharaoh that they couldn't because they would be sacrificing bulls, and the Egyptians worship bulls. They said, Hey, it'll be basically bringing death on ourselves, We can't do that." And so he didn't let the children of Israel go. The fifth plague came. God brought a plague on all the livestock that were in the field. Pharaoh's response was his heart became more hard and he didn't let Israel go. The sixth plague came without warning. This plague, God had Moses take ashes from the furnace and scatter them towards the sky in front of Pharaoh. And they became boils on, on all the Egyptians and their animals. Pharaoh's response was that he hardened his heart and didn't let Israel go. You would think that he would let them go, you know, but he's hard-hearted. The seventh plague was a great hailstorm came and killed all the Egyptian cattle in the field and also a lot of their crops. When Pharaoh saw this, he told Moses, um, you know, to stop this and he'll let them go. So Moses entreated the Lord. The hail stopped, but then he hardened his heart again and didn't let Israel go. The eighth plague came. This time God brought um, locusts into the land. and They ate everything. And when Pharaoh saw this, he again gave a false confession of sin and said that he would let Israel go. But as soon as God drove them away with the wind, he hardened his heart again and didn't let Israel go. The ninth plague came. God brought darkness that could be felt, a darkness that could be felt. But yet, in the land of Goshen where Israel dwelt, there was light. God made a separation between the two. He didn't still let the people go. And so the required one last and 10th plague. That would be recorded in chapters 11 and 12. This 10th plague would be the basis of the feast of Passover and the exodus of Egypt. God in these chapters told Moses that each family on the 10th day of the month of Abib, which is around April, was to grab a lamb of the first year without blemish. They were to keep this lamb until the 14th day of the month. And then at twilight, they were to kill the lamb And apply the blood to the doorposts of the house with hyssop. Those who had the blood on the doorposts would be saved, whether Jew or Egyptian. And those who did not would be killed. Their firstborn would be killed, whether Jew or Egyptian. Now, along with this, God established the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He said, after this Feast of Passover, I want you to establish the Feast of Unleavened Bread until the 21st day of the month. Now, God, just as He said at midnight, He brought the 10th plague on all the firstborn of Egypt. They were killed, and there was a great mourning in Egypt. And on this night, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, because of fear, begged the children of Israel to leave Egypt. And also, they gave them gifts, basically retribution for all their work. And then they blessed them, and Israel was able to leave Egypt. Now, on the 14th day of Abib, the nation of Israel, which was around 2 million people, left Egypt and encamped by the Red Sea, In front of the mountains. And so it's an amazing thing. God was able to show himself strong. Now, it's interesting, one of the provisions of the Abraham covenant was those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. Egypt killed the, uh, the, the male children of Israel, and so those who curse Israel will be cursed. The final plague was that God killed the firstborn of the Egyptians and so it's still a lot of effect today those who bless Israel will be blessed those who curse Israel will be cursed God said it and we see it throughout the book of Exodus even with the Amalekites the Amalekites when they come out they declare war on Israel and God said okay I'm gonna declare war on the Amalekites until they're all cut off and so God remembers his people and, and he remembers his covenant so we as nations sur- support Israel it's a good thing now Sometime after Israel left Egypt, Pharaoh realized that he made a big mistake. Hey, all of our slaves are gone. What are we going to do? So he gathered his army and then began pursuing Israel. He met them there by the Red Sea, and he wanted to overtake them. Well, they looked, as Israel looked up, they saw Pharaoh and his army coming and they began to panic. They began calling out to Moses, hey, you brought us out here in order to bury us in the, in the wilderness. And Moses said, listen, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See what God's going to do. Then God spoke to Moses. He said, Moses, lift your hand and your staff over the Red Sea, and it's going to part, and you'll be able to go through on dry land. Moses did so, and the Red Sea parted, and the children of Israel went through on dry land. And the angel of the Lord, who came in a in pillar of fire, went behind the children of Israel, and gave them light as they passed through, and it was darkness unto the Egyptians. And so they pass through, and they all get to the other side safely, and Pharaoh's army says, hey, let's go get them. So they go into the Red Sea, and God brings the Red Sea back, and there the army is drowned, and God gets victory over the Egyptian army. Israel responds by worshiping in chapter 15. Now, after the worship service is interesting, comes tests. And, and you might find that true in our life. After the mountaintop experiences, the worship service often comes tests. And that's what happened to Israel. From the end of chapter 15 all the way until chapter 17, we're given four tests that the children of Israel faced as they journeyed from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. The first test was at Marah. There was no good water to drink. And because of this, the people complained to Moses. God showed Moses a tree, and he cast it in the water, and the waters were made sweet. In chapter 16, there was a test in the wilderness of sin. We see that the people complained because there was not enough food. And so God said, hey, I got something for that. I'll bring quail into the camp, and also I'll provide you, you know, know, food, the manna, the bread from heaven. And God did so. In chapter 17, the third test came while they were at Rephidim. We're told here that the people contended because they have no water. They complained to Moses, and God said, "Moses, strike the rock at Horeb, and water will come out." And Moses did, and water came out and satisfied the people. The fourth test was at Rephidim. While Israel was there, the Amalekites came and attacked them. And God used Moses, Joshua, and Er and Aaron to give victory to Israel. And then God declared that there will be a perpetual war against the Amalekites because they brought war to His people. Now, our first section ends when Moses, his father-in-law, meets Moses and uh, brings his two wife, and, or, or excuse me, his one wife and his, kid t- his two sons out. And Now, ma- while Moses was there, he also gave Moses some insight into the government of Israel, the theocracy. He saw Moses judging the people and says, hey, you can't do that by yourself. It's going to kill you. And he says, so listen, you should establish some judges. And they'll judge the people. They have anything too hard, they can take it to you, and then, then you can take it to God. So, God would be in control. He would speak to Moses. Moses would speak to the people, to the judges. And then the priests would come a big part, as we'll see in this government. And so, Israel was a theocracy. They were led by God. So, that's the first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus. Now, let's apply this to our life, shall we? All right. First promise. Our first application point upon her God's faithful to his promises. God said that the reason why he delivered Israel out of Egypt was because of the Abrahamic covenant. He was fulfilling the covenant that he made to Israel and Abraham over 430 years earlier. It's an amazing thing. Now, I'm sure if Abraham looked, you know, and, and, you know, I'm sure he never really thought that God would deliver Israel from Egypt and then continue to progress his plan all the way until the coming of Jesus Christ. We don't really know how much Abraham knew. He just knew that God would bless him and then God would eventually give them the land. But God you know is continuing to provide and to continue to fulfill his promises. Well, In the same way God has given us promises and he'll be faithful to the promises that he gives us. And sometimes we see a promise in the Bible like God is working all things together for good and we say "Oh, that's a cool promise. But if we can really look into the future and see, you know and see what God is really doing it would blow our mind in the same way Abraham probably didn't understand much about the covenant God made to him but if he could see the future he would be blown away in the same way you don't know what God's doing in your life right now you know and I'm sure if if the Lord tarries and you look back you'll be amazed at what God has done through his promises in your life second Israel's redemption through the Passover lamb is a type of Christ's sacrifice in the Christians salvation a type in the Bible is a prophetic picture pointing to a person or an event in the future and most scholars say it's documented in the New Testament and said to be a type and so Jesus being the Passover lamb for us is a type that's found in first Corinthians chapter 5 um, verse 7 just as the lamb was slain on Abib 14th even so Jesus was slain on Abib 14th as our Passover lamb, as the lamb who would take away our sin. And just as the blood had to be applied to the doorpost, even so Christ is the Savior of the world, but it takes no effect in our life personally unless we take the blood and personally apply it to us by faith. And so um, Christ is our Passover lamb. And we also see a beautiful picture of salvation too. You know, Egypt can be a picture of the world. God leads us out of Egypt through the Red Sea, you know, a a picture of baptism and salvation. Salvation through the Lamb, then baptism, and then we enter the wilderness wanderings where there's tests and trials, right, attacks from the enemy, from the flesh, the Amalekites. And then eventually they come to the Promised Land, and it's our choice whether I'm going to be a disciple of the Lord and enter into the Promised Land and live by faith, or whether I'm going to be a carnal Christian and continue to wander in the wilderness wander in the wilderness and live that carnal Christian life and so it's all a beautiful picture Christ is seen in the book of Exodus Christ is the rock we're told in first Corinthians 10 also the manna from heaven Jesus said I am the manna that comes down from heaven in the gospel of John so Jesus is seen throughout the entire book of Exodus trying to give us a spiritual picture of our Christian life with him now we come to our second section in chapters 19 through 40 And in this section, we see that God begins delivering to Israel their laws for both their nation and their religion. In chapter 19, God begins by telling us that Israel left Rephidim and they came to Mount Horeb or Sinai three months exactly from the day they left Egypt. Now, Israel, as we'll see, is going to spend the next 11 months at Sinai. They're going to be there from Exodus 19 all the way until Numbers chapter 10. That all those chapters is all taking place within eleven months and six days or something, and so so Leviticus is going to pick up right where we left off in Exodus, and so they're going to be there for a long time getting instruction from God or their law. Now, when the nation of Israel was camped at the mountain, God spoke to Moses and told the people that He was going to make a conditional covenant with them. The purpose of this covenant, we're told, is that Israel might be God's special people, His holy nation and His kingdom of priests. Now Moses went down and told the people what God said. And then they said, listen, tell God all that he says we'll do. We'll keep our end of the covenant. And so Moses went up and told God. And so God said, okay, listen, tell the people in three days I'm going to manifest myself to them on the mountain. So therefore sanctify yourselves and set up a barrier around the mountain. If anybody comes close to it, kill them. And so three days later, God manifested himself on the mountain in fire and thunder and great glory. And then God called for Moses to come up to him. And Moses came up to God, and God told Moses to make sure that the barriers were set up. And so Moses went back down and made sure that the barriers were set up. It was a testing. Moses was living by faith here. Now when Moses went down, God then began speaking to the nation from the mountain, and he spoke to them the first part of their law, known as the Ten Commandments. Now Jesus divided the Ten Commandments into two sections. The first four deal with our love for God, and the second set deals with love for man. The first four are: Do not have any other gods before the Lord. Do not make any engraved image of God. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now the second set is uh, the, the second set is six: Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, and you shall not covet. God also spoke some more commandments to the people, and um, then they became terrified. The people therefore asked Moses to be their mediator. They say, hey, listen, you talk to God. We're frightened. We don't. We don't even want to talk to God. You be our mediator." And so Moses agreed. And so Moses came up to God, and God gave him some more instructions on the worship, and also on the altar. Now, after this. In chapters 21 through 23, God spoke to Moses the mediator some more laws for the nation of Israel. In chapters 21 through 23, we see laws concerning labor, violence, animals, stealing, personal property, dishonesty, seduction, religious and civil obligations, and laws to be regarded when they come into the land of Canaan. Now here's the important part to understand about these chapters is chapter 24. Don't miss chapter 24. After God spoke these laws to Moses, he came down and told the people all that God said. And then he wrote them down in the book of the covenant, which is the book of Exodus. And then Moses built an altar. He took bowls and he had them sacrifice the bowls. They divided the blood. Half of the blood was in one basin. Half of the blood was in the other basin. Moses took the law, God's part, and he sprinkled the blood on the covenant. And then he read that to the people, all that God said to him in chapters 20 through 23, and the people responded their part, all that God says we will do. Then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. This was a sign that they were entering into a conditional covenant with one another. These laws are for the nation of Israel only and specifically. It is a conditional covenant between Israel and God. A conditional covenant is where two parties both have to agree to do their part. If one party fails, as we'll see in chapters 32 and 33 and 34, Israel sins with the golden calf, God cuts them off, says, I'm done with the people. Moses intercedes for them and God says, okay, I'll restore my covenant with them. Conditional covenant means you do your part. If you don't, God cuts you off. Israel sinned in the book of Jeremiah. God brought Babylon and took them away. The northern kingdom sin god said i'm going to kill you Um, he sent assyria and and, and sent them away a conditional covenant is a serious thing as we'll see in the book of deuteronomy and so we are not under a conditional covenant based on the law we are under the new covenant of grace done by the messiah and so you don't want to say well doesn't the bible say you you know you can't have cuttings or markings on your flesh well yeah if you want to put yourself under the conditional covenant you don't want to do that. And so that's bad. And so now we, we read these and we apply them to our life as moral laws. God's moral nature never changes. And so therefore, I can apply these to my life as moral laws. But under the obligations that God has, the civil obligations, I'm not required to fulfill them. And as we'll see, the Sabbath day belongs in that category. Now, a lot of these Ten Commandments were reiterated by the apostles in the New Testament. And so that's why we are under these. Uh, under the nine besides the sabbath so the w- all nine of the ten commandments were specifically taught by the apostles and the in the teachers of the new testament therefore we can apply them to our life the only one is the sabbath was not um applied there so um so it's important so and also we keep the law by love jesus said love god with all your heart soul strength and might and love your brothers yourself and in that you fulfill Um, the law. So this was a conditional covenant and God was given to the nation of Israel their constitution. This is how the nation of Israel would operate as a theocracy in front of God. Now after the covenant was initiated, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel saw God manifested to them and they feasted with them. After this, God called Moses up alone to the mountain to meet with him. Moses left and took Joshua with them. And for six days, they waited on the mountain until God called to Moses. And on the seventh day, Moses came up to the top of the mountain and there he entered the cloud and he met with God on top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. During this time of the 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain, Moses alone was given the instructions in chapters 25 through 31. So when you read chapters 25 through 31, that was given from God to Moses on the top of the mountain. And so here's what God said. He spoke to him about the tabernacle, its furniture, its utensils, and its clothing for the priests. In chapter 25, God gave instructions concerning the material they needed. And then he told them different pieces of furniture, such as the Ark of the Covenant, the Mercy Seat, the Table of Showbread, and the Golden lampstand. These things would go inside this tabernacle, a place where Israel would meet and worship God. In chapter 26, God gave Moses the instructions for the tabernacle itself. The tabernacle would be a portable tent. It would be divided into two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place, um, known as the Holy of Holies, past the veil. In chapter 27, God gave Moses the instructions for the bronze bronze altar, which would be outside the tabernacle. It's a place where the sacrifices were to be offered. And God also gave Moses the instruction on the outer court around the tabernacle. Chapters 28 and 29 give Moses the instructions concerning the garments of the priests and how they are to be consecrated. And we'll see the consecration of the priests is going to take place in the book of Leviticus. And that's when Nadab and Abihu they get you know they get cut off because they offer strange fire um, before the Lord. In chapter 30, God instructs Moses about redemption, um, actually the redemption money that was to be offered. And um, you see that in the book of Samuel with David when he took the offering or um, numbered the people and they were slain, um, the bronze um, wash lever, lever, and then the holy anointing oil and the incense altar, and then in chapter thirty-one, I think it's cool. Um, God basically names the artisans by name, and then he tells them, "Hey, these are the guys I want to build the tabernacle." So, as a mechanic, I always think that's cool that God, you know, names these people by names to build this. Now, the end of chapter thirty-one is very important as well. The Sabbath day, God said. The Sabbath day is a sign between me and the nation of Israel. Is it a sign? It's a sign of my covenant that I made with them. The sign of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. So all people who follow that covenant were to be circumcised. The Sabbath day was the sign of the Mosaic covenant, or the law that God made with the nation of Israel specifically. And so since the church is not the nation of Israel, since we are a separate people, the Gentiles as we see in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, we are not under the obligations to keep the Sabbath day because the Sabbath day was not required in the Bible until Exodus chapters 20 through um, 33. And so, and so nowhere in the Bible do you see it's a requirement to keep the Sabbath day before the children of Israel are delivered from Egypt and God gives them the law for the theocracy of the nation of Israel. And so, you know, people want to argue about the Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. And so we don't have to keep the Sabbath day. Chapter 32 shows us that while Moses was on the mountain getting instructions for worship, the people were down worshiping, but not God. They were worshiping a golden calf that Aaron made them. They were dancing around this thing and worshiping it. Moses came down from the mountain. God told him to get down. And he had the Ten Commandments in, in his arms They were written by the finger of God. And Joshua said, hey, Mo." I hear rejoicing in the camp. And so he sees them dancing. So in anger, he breaks the tablets. And then he has the Levites go out and execute those who are guilty of idolatry. At this point, the conditional covenant that was made 40 days earlier was broken already. All that God says we'll do. 40 days later, they're cut off. And God told Moses, hey, Moses, they're going to go in the land by themselves. I'm not going to go in with them. And, God, and Moses said, hey, Lord, listen, cut me off for of the people, please. Blot me out if you're not going to go with the people. Don't send us in the land. The conditional covenant was broken. And so Moses, in, at his heart of hearts, you know, his heart intercedes for them. And God, in his grace, restores the covenant and says, okay, Moses, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so, and so God restores his covenant. He makes. He says, okay, I'm get me some tablets. Moses makes the tablets. And then they write on the tablets again. And he comes down. And these tablets become the basis of um, basically the general law for the Mosaic Covenant. And so that's, that's the nation of Israel there. And then in chapters 35 through 39, we see that Moses delivered to Israel all the instructions that God gave them when he was on the mountain. He told the people exactly what they were to do, what they were to offer, and even told the people that God called to build the things they did, and we're told that... Beziel and and Ahiliab, the artisans, made all things just as God said. So the book of Exodus ends with the children of Israel on the first day of the year raising up the tabernacle just as God said and the glory of God filled the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory of God and there the people worshipped God. And as you'll see, Leviticus chapter 1 says, and then God spoke to them from... The tabernacle and so picks up right where we left off and so in closing we have two points that we can ponder now notice the second section of Exodus shows us that our redemption requires the believers response to obedience God delivered them he brought them out it was all his work all they did was apply the blood but then when they got there God says okay hey now this is how I want you to respond and relate to me in this relationship their relationship was based upon the law Of course, by faith, and, you know, they were always saved by faith. But their relationship to God was based on the conditional covenant through the law. And they had responses that they had to fulfill. In the New Testament, we're saved by the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. But our response to Jesus is by faith in the New Covenant and the teachings of the Messiah and also his apostles in the New Testament. And so we are to respond. James says, faith without works is dead. Our faith must produce works. You know, the Bible, you know, as the great scholars of the past have said, We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And then second, the tabernacle and the priesthood is a type of the believer's access to God in Christ and His high priestly ministry. We're told there that the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God on earth. And then John 1.14 tells us, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. The Word dwelt is tabernacled. And Hebrews tells us that Christ is actually a picture of the tabernacle was a picture of Christ. The glory of God manifested to man. The veil, we're told in the Bible, was actually a picture of Christ. The lampstand, Christ is the light of the world. The showbread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The bronze altar outside, Jesus is the burnt offering our sacrifice that offered himself um, for us. You know, So all these things are all beautiful pictures uh, of Christ. They're all pointing towards Christ. Also, they were to make it exactly like God wanted it because the tabernacle was a picture of heaven. That's why they were to make it exactly like God wanted it. And so all these things all show us that salvation is only by faith and only by Christ alone. And even in the Old Testament, when God was working with His people in a different dispensation, He was still pointing forward to Christ, the Messiah who would come in the future. Let's pray.